Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our reactions and our takeaways to the first round of the NBA playoffs. So a lot has happened this past week. We had the NBA boycotting of games with teams like the Milwaukee Bucks, Orlando Magic, Los Angeles Lakers, Portland Trailblazers, Houston Rockets, and Oklahoma City Thunder. And at that time, we didn't know if we were going to have a season again. So, Jalen, what were your initial reactions when the boycott happened? Man, the whole thing threw me off, to be honest, because, you know, the big thing was you're sitting there waiting for 4 o'clock to hit, and you're checking Instagram, and you're seeing these, like, screenshots post by ESPN and all this other stuff saying the Milwaukee Bucks still haven't taken the court. It's 4.05. The Milwaukee Bucks have still, haven't, still haven't taken the court. It's 4.10. The Magic are slowly but surely about to just start packing their stuff and walking away. 4.13 hits this man. Woj just sends out the biggest bomb he's had since Kawhi Leonard going to the Clippers, and that's that the Milwaukee Bucks are boycotting the season. I was just sitting there like, yo, or boycotting the game individually, but, you know, it sounded like they were ready for anything low-key. So I think my biggest thing was their reasoning behind it, the fact that it that the situation um, specifically that they were responding to with Jacob Blake and everything happened in their own backyard. I understand, and I under I understood, and I felt for them. And you know, I'm glad that they took that time um, to do what they felt like they needed to do. I'm glad that the other five teams kind of followed suit with them rather than kind of leaving them hanging. I'm glad that the league abided by what it was they they were requesting and actually took all of Friday to put something together, not just in writing, but also kind of put in some action. I mean, there were a hundred NBA employees that were calling government officials on Friday. Um, they put entire they put entire programs together that are NBA sponsored to really push towards some of the things that NBA players have been wearing on the back of their jerseys this whole time in terms of encouraging things like voting and education reform and really putting their their knowledge, you know, out there and to the test in terms of really, you know, resting on their laurels rather than just kind of just having the proverbial S on your chest and playing the Superman part but not really doing anything with it. So, yeah, man, it it was really drastic. And, you know, I was kind of almost prepared for the season to end in a way that I was actually content with considering their reasoning. I'm glad we didn't lose basketball, but we know we just need more to happen. I mean, you know, we just we're just waiting for it to go all run its course. But I I was very proud of a sports league that didn't need to be at the forefront of these issues. There's government officials and people of that nature that are paid to do this every day that don't. And we ask NBA players to do it for whatever reason. And (laughs) for whatever reason, they actually live up to the bill. So I couldn't be more proud to be a a fan of them. I couldn't be more proud to be a content creator that focuses on this league. And, you know, they did their thing, bro. They did their thing. 
Yeah, I agree that the NBA handled the situation with the utmost dignity, and I thought they handled this situation with class as well. I heard a lot about, you know, leadership. And first of all, I want to give I want to give all the credit to the NBA players and teams who knew that there was something more than basketball. But the NBA has shown a lot of leadership during this time. Colin Cowherd made a great point on his show and brought up this question of what do you want your athletes to be? I gave it a lot of thought these past couple of days. And my first is I want my athletes to be leaders on and off the court. My second is I want them to lead by example. And third, I want them to recognize the fact that they have a platform to make change happen. We saw the Milwaukee Bucks and other teams take a stand. Those players are leaders setting the example and recognizing the problem and using their platform to not only show solidarity, but to get the message across. They've influenced other teams in other leagues to do the same with the WNBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, National Hockey League, all following suit. That is who I want my athletes to be. It's well said, bro. I mean, shoot. I mean, it's really that simple, bro. And I'm I'm really kind of glad that you put that together because, you know, we 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 talk about sports in such an analytical way, you and me, when you know, when we hop on this podcast, and that's part of the description. That's part of what we sign up to do is that we want to critique, we want to speak on, we want to analyze, we want to show our knowledge of the game as well as display the knowledge of the guys that we watch on the court every day. But these guys are role models first. I mean, whether they signed up to be that or not, these are the type of people that a lot of kids aspire to be. And with that comes a responsibility to display, you know, where you lie on an issue, where you lie on your society, where you lie when it comes to your communities. And, you know, the typical throw your money at the problem and it'll disappear. You know, lately I'm starting to realize more and more that that's really not the way. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, anybody with morals will know that that's not the best solution. But for whatever reason, it also tends to be everybody's first solution. And I think that now tackling the issue rather tackling the issue head on more specifically rather than trying to do things in very subliminal ways. I felt like Thursday and even Friday last week kind of showed us that taking that extra step, it moves the needle way quicker, way faster and does a lot more for you than trying to stand pat and follow status quo when it comes to trying to solve a problem that's been plaguing society for a really long time. They say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Well, we're also in a year where expecting the normal, expecting to run the normal course is a little last season, bro. (laughs) You kind of just have to address every issue differently now because the world we're in is so different just in this year by itself. And, I mean, our players are the first ones to kind of put us on that train track towards moving somewhere. Hopefully, we get there. And I think everybody should consider the question, who do you want your athletes to be? 
And I gave you my reasons for who I want my athletes to be. But I think everyone needs to have that question in their head when they watch sports. Transitioning to the rest of the first round. A lot of things have happened in this first round so far. A lot of surprising performances, a lot of disappointing performances. This has been a crazy first round. So, Jalen, what are your takeaways now that the first round is almost complete? Well, Ryan, my first takeaway is that the Clippers will not win the championship with Paul George averaging less than 20 points per game. I don't think I'm saying anything that's rocket science. I don't think that I'm saying anything that will really turn a head or make somebody bat an eye and think that I'm crazy, this, that, and the third. Kawhi Leonard is their best player. Don't get me wrong. Lou Williams is a guy that I feel like can be there, can and maybe should be their closer as a scorer on their team. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, Paul George getting about 15 points per game is not going to cut it, dude. One really good game is not going to get us off his back in terms of this team being a championship contender or not. You can take down the Mavericks who have a hobbled Luka and no Christos Porzingis all you want to. And don't get me wrong, it's still a good feat because Luka is a generational talent. We saw that in his first round. He, all he did was put the league on notice. We didn't expect a lot out of the Mavericks this year. We didn't even expect a lot out of them in this series in particular. But at the same time, this is just a team on the cusp. This is a team that still has a lot of growth to to make, to take, however you want to look at it. And I'm not saying the Clippers were supposed to, you know, sweep them and prove their dominance and all this crazy mess that most people are kind of assuming about the Clippers when you look at their roster. But if they, if anybody thinks that they're going to win a championship, you're sadly mistaken if Paul George does not wake up. So, I mean, I think my biggest thing right now is anybody's take on having the Clippers in the finals, let alone winning the entire thing, it's starting to get a little slippery right now in terms of whether or not you want to stay on that bandwagon. But, um, Ryan, where do you stand on the Clippers, bro? I mean, if anything, it kind of showed that I was right about Luka Doncic being in the MVP conversation. Mm-hmm. Why isn't he in the, in the MVP conversation? I saw the Clippers single-handedly defeated by Luka Doncic in Game 4. Watching the rest of the, the series – Watching Marcus Morris get that technical foul and the flare, the uh, the flagrant foul in Game Six, it's almost like losing a bench piece that you will probably miss for the series, because Marcus Morris has is a talented player, but what he did to Luca, it was unwarranted. It shouldn't have happened. But Luca is that good of a player, where he can average these amazing numbers and carry the team on his back, even without Chris Porzingis. But the thing for Dallas going forward is that now you, you have your franchise pieces, you have your franchise duo, you have to build around it now. And that's where, that's where I stand with Dallas for the Clippers. They were my finals pick. They were my team to win the finals. 
after watching that series, I did pre- I did correctly predict the series going in the Clippers' favor, winning four to two. Not in the fashion that I predicted it, though. Luca going off, especially in Game Four. I was expecting him to have a couple great games, but to single-handedly defeat the Clippers in Game Four, I just thought, you know, Luca's a superstar, and I'll say it before and I'll say it again. He should have been in this MVP conversation instead of LeBron James. But I, I think that the Clippers have still have a chance to win. But Paul George had a horrendous couple games in this series. And I think now that the competition's starting to step up, eventually they may have to face the Lakers if they make it past the second round. But I'm worried about Paul George and how he's going to step up. I mean, it's definitely rough, bro. And I think the other thing about it when it comes to the Clippers is just that, you know, the excuse for them all season has been, well, they haven't played with their full starting five in but so many games. And, you know, in this series, they really didn't have Patrick Beverly for most of the series. I understand that. But, like, now we're in the playoffs. So being able to lean on that excuse is running heavily old. I think it's getting extremely old, basically, is what I'm trying to say when it comes to trying to give the Clippers an out. I'm going to use my other takeaway to lean on the favor of a matchup that just, man, taking breaths away during this postseason. And it is the Nuggets versus the Utah Jazz, man. I mean, we're seeing history in a way that in my lifetime specifically – I've never been able to see these things live. I mean, in this series, we have two young guys who both have had two 50-point games in the same series, being Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, part of a historical group that literally is just them and two other guys. And to give you a little bit of a perspective, one of them is Michael Jordan, which makes everything extremely better when you read it on a piece of paper. But I think my main thing is, bro, remember, I was the one who went out on a limb when we went on the, when we had this discussion, making our predictions and said, I had the, had Utah in seven and you had Denver in seven. Well, now we're about to see game seven, bro. And uh, after those first couple of games of the series, I didn't think it was going to get this far. And I felt like Utah may have blown everybody away, caught everybody off guard and that, hey. Utah could be a really scary team come second round. Now they're facing elimination along with Denver in game seven. And really, I don't know what to expect from this game. I mean, Donovan Mitchell cannot keep putting up 30, nearly 40 points plus, And his next best scorer at maybe having 21 like Mike Conley, but then no one else really contributing versus a guy like Jamal Murray who can drop 50 and then have a guy like Jokic contribute another 20-plus points and have other role players like Gary Harris who didn't get a lot of points but came back and thrived a lot on the defensive end in his short, I think it was like 20 to 25 minutes that he played. I don't know which way this series is going to go. And, I mean, I said it on Instagram, but I'm sticking with Utah. But who knows, bro? Who knows? I mean, Jamal Murray is having Michael Jordan-esque playoff performances. 
And this is one of the reasons why I believe the Nuggets were going to take this game, this, take the series in seven games. And we're literally looking at the future of the league before our eyes right now. Jamal Murray is going to become a superstar. Donovan Mitchell is already making the case that he is a superstar. Multiple 50-point games on the part of Jamal Murray, who I think without Jamal Murray, the Nuggets would have won at least one game, maybe zero games. I think that with a guy like Jamal Murray, he's a guy who can take your take your team and carry it, carry it on his back. And we've seen this in game one. We just saw it in game six. There was nothing that Utah could have done better defensively, especially with one of the final shots that Jamal Murray took in the fourth quarter with under two minutes to go. But, man, I think Jamal Murray is just making plays out of nowhere. With that being said, Donovan Mitchell may need some help, especially up front with Rudy Gobert. I think Donovan Mitchell is such a phenomenal player, but at the same time, the team around him is not equipped to, I guess, help him. I feel like they're really missing like a guy like Bojan Bogdanovic. Like I said before, and I'll say it again, I think you know we need, we need to see Ingles or Emil really take a step up in Game 7 now, especially to fill the role that Bojan Bogdanovic left. But this has been a back-and-forth series that I don't think anybody expected, especially considering that the Nuggets were blown out in one, and I believe it was Game 2. But I don't know. This is just a tough. This is just this is just a tough series to to really determine who a winner is going to be. I'm going to have to stick with the Nuggets, though, mainly favoring the big matchup between Nikola Jokic and Rudy Gobert. I have to favor Jokic in this one. Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell. I feel like they can go off each for thirty and ten, but I think it's really going to come down to a guy on one of these teams that's going to make a big play at the end. And I feel like it's either going to be a guy like Gary Harris or a guy like Royce O'Neal or a guy like Joe Ingles or a guy like um, Michael Porter Jr. Just one one of those guys I feel like can make a huge play late in the game to swing the momentum to their team. I mean, shoot, from what I saw on social media, bro, it's – it's word going around that people think uh, Donovan Mitchell and Jamar Murray should just play one-on-one in game seven for real for the series. And boy, I ain't going to lie to you. I would be down because at least it feels like a fair fight. I'm not going to lie because these boys been going at it. I mean, it is mani- mano and mano and really it's kind of just showing who's supporting cast is there more, which is unfortunate because I felt like coming into the season, of course, Bojan was on the team and, actively a part of the roster um unlike now he's he's injured but this was one of the teams that came in with probably one of the most intimidating starting fives low-key in the league and and now you know due to injury and due to kind of like the in and out of Mike Conley being in and out of the the bubble due to you know of course his child being born which you know no one's gonna hold them for that but things like that of course we still don't have a full-blown understanding of Donovan Mitchell's relationship with Rudy Gobert. Not that I think this has any impact on the series, but, you know, different things like that are all things you do have to wonder about in terms of their supporting cast versus the Nuggets who, 
I mean, I wouldn't say everybody's going crazy and playing out of their mind, but when Jamal Murray is doing what he's doing, <laughs> they're doing just enough to make sure that they get over the top. But um, what what is one of your bigger takeaways from the first round, Ryan? I mean, I could go and say that the future is bright with Luka Doncic, Jamal Murray, and Donovan Mitchell, but my takeaway is – just looking really back at the looking back at the disappointment of the Philadelphia 76ers and the Indiana Pacers, both teams who I mentioned in the last episode um, were swept and then both their coaches were fired subsequently. And I'm just not even, I'm not even sure where to begin. And I feel like, you know, with the Sixers, I kind of laid out their plan with what they should do. They should find a coach and uh, build their franchise around Joel Embiid, trade away Ben Simmons and Al Horford, and just find compliments to uh, surround Joel Embiid so they make him the focus of the offense. For the Indiana Pacers, I'll say it before and I'll say it again, they're a middle-of-the-pack team until they get a star, and um, I feel like they just need star power on this team. And maybe there's a coach that could attract that star power, but they really need to get back to where they were in 2012, 2013, my big takeaway from that is, and I, I don't, I'm not the, the type of guy that likes calling for a job unless it's, unless it's Jim Boylan, obviously, which thankfully got him out of there. But unfortunately I kind of almost have to go a step further and even say that, you know, I think Terry Stotts is on the clock when it comes to the Portland trailblazers. I mean, he's been there for seven years and they had one outlier year being last season where they made the Western conference finals at least he can say that versus the Philadelphia 76ers and the Indiana Pacers who, I mean, you could say that Philadelphia has flirted with a potential conference final uh, appearance last season, but it didn't happen. And Indiana has been a first round exit every year over the last couple of years, really. So a lot of the coaching situations that we saw specifically with Philadelphia and Indiana I feel like the big thing is needing a new voice right now. Unfortunately, there's one of those situations similar to maybe Golden State with Mark Jackson is the the illusion everybody uses that says, you know, a voice can fall on deaf ears and sometimes you just need a new voice in the room to kind of bring up a new energy within the team and things of that case, uh things of that nature. Man, both of these teams have some some big soul searching to do this all season, bro, because Indiana has to find a way to stop being just an overachiever and Philadelphia needs to find a way to actually put themselves in the championship mix. That tanking stuff, their team is too well put together for that to the point that they're beyond just being the team. We're okay with getting into the playoffs because they're a young squad. No, they, mortgage a lot of their future that Sam Hinkie put together through doing all that tanking. And now they've made themselves a microwave championship contender team that hasn't lived up to it. So we're talking about the tale of two different types of teams, but they both are going to have to really figure it out this off season. Otherwise we could be talking about them the exact same way next year. And that kind of leads us to our question of the day. What is one takeaway that you have from the first round of the playoffs? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you rate us on Apple to give us five stars and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you guys next episode.
Peace. Chuck, chuck, chuck.